So if we live in a dark world that is broken, if we live in a dark culture that is really messed up, where people are saying and doing and believing all kinds of terrible things, the best thing you can do is focus on your own salvation, to work that out, to begin to say, God, what are the things in me that need to change? What are the ways that maybe I need to shed a few pounds of unhealthy spiritual baggage? The things I've held on to, I need to let go of. The things I want to believe that are not founded in your word. What do I need to lose that in turn I might gain? In doing so, we become lights for the world to see. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. And I don't like the work that goes into leaving my house to get to the gym, to work out, to come home, to shower. And that's a lot of effort just to put in effort. And I don't really like the fact that when I get there, I look around and there's a lot of people who know what they're doing and I'm clueless. And I think to myself, surely I should be able to handle that machine when I see the 80-year-old woman who's doing it better than me. I don't really like the gym. I just like the idea of the gym. I like the benefits of being healthy and I like the convenience and flavor of a drive through and desserts at 10 p.m. I love the feeling of knowing I pushed myself to my limits, and I really love sitting on the couch and watching Netflix. And I'm torn between the two most often. But you see, there's a, a truth about the gym that you need to know today before we get into Philippians. Whether you like to go to the gym or you work out at home, or whether you've never once intentionally worked out, Want to know something wonderful about what happens to your body? At the end of the day, whether you went to the gym and worked out or not, you still have a body. Did you know that? Like your body doesn't disappear and vanish because you ceased working out. No, if you want your body to maybe change or take a little different shape or to be a little healthier, to grow a little stronger, there's benefit in working out. But the workout doesn't give you a body. And you're like, this is kind of strange, Adam. Of course I have a body. Well, I share that because as we get into what Paul tells us in Philippians today, he challenges us as believers to work out. And no, he's not telling us to lose a few pounds. But he challenges us to work out our faith. And oftentimes when people read this verse, they struggle because they assume when he says to work it out, it means you have to make it happen. You have to create it. You have to artificially force something of faith. But what Paul's writing here has nothing to do with giving you faith or not. 
Just like going to the gym doesn't give you a body, no, you already have it. It simply changes your body. What, what Paul's about to write and we're about to read doesn't give you faith, but it may change it. It won't create in you the things that you've been hoping for, that you look in others and say, they've got it all together. They don't. It won't create in you answers to where you have doubts and questions and things you just don't understand. But it will certainly strengthen you. If you recall so far where we've been in this book of Philippians, Paul is writing to these people who are Roman citizens who take a lot of pride in their citizenship. And Paul, he challenges them to live as citizens of a different kingdom, worthy of this good news that Christ is king, that Jesus is Lord, that we don't have to hope in our government or our political leaders or the, the worldly gods that tell us you should bow down here or worship there. No, we can simply hope in Jesus. And that's it. And Paul, he says these words to a people who could really suffer if they take them seriously. If they begin to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, it might cause them to reject things about the kingdom of this world. It might cause them to refuse to do what's expected of them, and in doing so, they could endure hardship, trial, even imprisonment or torture or death. So Paul is writing to them, and last week we looked at the first part of chapter 2, where he tells them to take on the humility of Christ, to put other people's interests, to consider them ahead of your own. And he says, in this humility, there's a unity. When we have this attitude, like Christ, we become a different kind of people in this kingdom. And now he continues in chapter 2. It's hard with holding this too. Not coordinated enough. In chapter 2, he now continues, beginning in verse 12. You're welcome to follow along. You can find this at thepointknox.com. You can find this in a physical Bible if you have one or on your phone. However you want to follow along, here's God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, Paul is not concerned with the church figuring out how other people should live in their salvation. He's not concerned with them figuring out how other people should be living according to this good news. No, he says to them, work out your own salvation. And I again want to clarify, to work out your salvation does not mean to earn it. It does not mean to create it in you. No, your salvation has nothing to do with any effort of your own. The radical thing about this gospel Paul proclaims is that we don't believe in a God who expects you or me to do anything. He's not requiring us to get our life together, 
to fix our mess, to try harder, to do more, to work better. No, he simply gives us a good gift. A gift that says, in my son, you shall be saved. In him, you have grace and are forgiven. In him, you have hope in times of sorrow. He alone is enough. And because of this good gift, Paul challenges the people in Philippi, work out your salvation. You see, when I do eventually go to the gym like four times a year, I go with great enthusiasm. I'm really excited. I believe this will be the time I create a new habit. And in my new habit, I will have that perfect body and those chiseled muscles and all the things I've always hoped for. And I work out once or twice or maybe three times. And then what happens? It gets hard. Like, have you tried to go to the gym two days in a row, especially after leg day? It's hard to get out of bed, yet alone go to the gym. And and, and not only does it get hard, other really good things pop up. And for me, those other really good things are enough oftentimes to say, maybe I'll go to the gym tomorrow. Today it's raining. Or today I want to spend time with my wife or my kids. Paul, he's writing, work out your own salvation. You see, just like our bodies, our faith, the thing that God has given to us can grow or it can shrink. No, I don't think your faith disappears if you don't work it out. But I do think all of the blessing of going to the gym, like having more energy and having a healthier body and maybe having a different shape in my body, all of that blessing only comes through the effort of work. And if I don't want to do that work, I can still have a body just maybe with fewer blessings. The same is true with your faith. If you want your faith to grow so that you can trust God in difficult times, Maybe you should begin doing things right now when it's not yet so difficult. If you want to see the goodness of God in your everyday life, or you want to see the unity that God creates in a really divided world, or you want the peace or the hope or the love or the joy or any of the other fruits of the Spirit, maybe you should begin to work out your salvation, to begin to do things purposefully that change your faith. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If you're not content with your faith, maybe do something different. The church has been open to this idea for 2,000 years and even before, and we've called these workouts, these practices you could do, spiritual disciplines. These are things you can do to change your faith. Not to create it, not to manipulate it, simply to strengthen it and to grow deeper in a knowledge and an understanding of who God is and what he's done. Paul, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's not calling us to fear in the sense of being terrified and afraid of a God who's angry and wrathful and waiting for you to slip up. But when I go to the gym... I'm a little bit afraid every time. I'm a little bit afraid because I have no idea what I'm doing. Maybe somebody else will notice. I'm a little bit afraid that I'm going to look like a fool in the process and somebody might laugh. Even more so, I'm a little bit afraid that it will work. 
And like, maybe if it works, it will change the things I care about. And I'll stop eating that food I really like. And I'll stop watching Netflix as much as I want because I have to make time to do this new thing I've discovered. See, to work out your salvation with fear is not fear of punishment, but a little bit of hesitation. What if this actually changes everything? What if everything about my life as I know it could be different as a result of what I'm about to do? If that doesn't make you a little uncomfortable, you might have a problem. See, the life that Paul calls the church to is a life that looks radically different than the rest of the world. One that in the midst of turmoil can be a source of peace. Do you know what it takes to be a source of peace when the world is falling apart? You have to give up control of the world that's falling apart. That's really scary. Do you know what it takes to find God when he feels so far away? You have to give up the desire to be your own God and begin to listen. God, what are you saying or doing? To work out your faith with fear and trembling is a recognition that if this God we believe in is who he says he is, perhaps nothing else matters. And if he's not who he says he is, perhaps nothing else matters. Paul, he challenges them to work out their faith, for it is God who works in you. You see, our faith workouts, whether they be in the form of spiritual disciplines like prayer or time in the word or gathering together with others, all of our spiritual disciplines are because God is first working in us, drawing us to him. And this God who's at work in us is doing it for his good pleasure. He's creating in us the habits, the things, the faith, the desire to say something needs to be different. And I'm going to seek the one who can make it different. Paul, he continues with one habit that you and I can embrace to begin to work out our salvation. This is only one habit. It's not all of them. There's a long list of things we can do. Just like when you go to the gym, perhaps you can find a trainer, somebody who can help you, who can teach you, who can model it for you. When you go to the gym, you can have some friends who go with you for accountability to encourage you when you want to give up. When you go to the gym, you can look at the little thing on the side of the machine and say, what's that picture trying to tell me to do? And in reading it or looking at it, maybe you can learn something new. There's lots of different ways we can work out our faith, but here's one of them that Paul gives in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. How often do you do that? Your boss tells you to do a job you don't want to do. And when he walks away, you grumble, oh, I hate this job. I hate my boss. This is so tough. This is so hard. Your spouse says something to you that maybe you really don't like. 
Maybe it's about your budget and ways you've been spending money or about the dishes you said you'd do four days ago that are still not done or the trash you again forgot to take out. And you just begin to question, is this worth it? Like, why does she do this? Or why am I like this? Or is this really worth the energy to invest myself into? If you want to grow in faith, do all things without grumbling or questioning. What would it look like if for you and I one day, just for one day, we said, I will just joyfully embrace whatever happens. And your boss comes to you and says, today I want you to do this filthy, disgusting job. And you say, okay, that's what I'll do today. And you actually didn't complain about it. See, I think our our human nature in many ways, especially in an American culture where the individual is most important, our human nature wants to justify all the injustices done against me. And we think if I don't like something, it must be bad. So going to the gym is really bad because I don't like hurting afterwards. So I just won't do it. And I'll grumble when I look in the mirror and say, I don't like who I am, but I'm not going to do anything to change that. You want to grow in faith and discover God in your midst? Do everything without complaining. How different would your day look? Or maybe your attitude when you get on Facebook and you're scrolling through your your news feed and you see somebody who posts something you fundamentally disagree with or you don't like. And rather than grumbling about that person, you said, you know what? I'm not actually doing a good job loving them right now. To help me not grumble, I'm going to just get off social media. To help me treat them nicely, I'm going to invite them over and we can actually connect in person. Shocking. What if rather than complaining about all the things you think should be different in this world, you just changed them? You just began to be the very difference you're hoping for. You're tired of people not waving at you, so start waving at them with more than one finger. (laughs) You're tired of people not using a blinker, so you start using your blinker. Little things, and maybe even big things. Your spouse and you fight a lot, so maybe instead of complaining about the fights, you look for what ways have I contributed and made this worse? In what ways has my attitude affected them. Can I change my attitude in this situation? You see, when we do all things without grumbling or questioning, there's a certain byproduct that happens. When I go to the gym consistently and I don't just grumble and complain about how I don't like the way I look or the way I feel or or the difficulty of working out and I just do it, my body begins to change. This is how Paul says we change when we work out our salvation in this way. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you and I can successfully not grumble and complain, can choose the attitude of gratitude over that of entitlement and frustration. If you and I can begin to say, God, I want to believe you. Help me when I question or I complain. 
and we begin to practice these things, it says that we will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, one thing I think the church has forgotten in this country for a long time, it's not new, is we've forgotten that our primary focus in changing behavior is not to change other people's behaviors. No, he says, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, we don't have to convince this generation to be less crooked and twisted. We just have to become less crooked and twisted ourselves. We don't have to tell everybody else they're getting it wrong. We just have to look for the ways we're doing it wrong ourselves. And when we do, and we begin to not grumble or complain or question everything, when we begin to act humbly as he wrote previously, to consider others' interests ahead of our own, when we do this, we shine like a light for all to see. And here's the beautiful thing about this twisted generation, this crooked generation, light always shines into the dark. It's never the other way around. So if we live in a dark world that is broken, if we live in a dark culture that is really messed up, where people are saying and doing and believing all kinds of terrible things, the best thing you can do is focus on your own salvation to work that out. To begin to say, God, what are the things in me that need to change? What are the ways that maybe I need to shed a few pounds of unhealthy spiritual baggage? The things I've held on to, I need to let go of. The things I want to believe that are not founded in your word. What do I need to lose that in turn I might gain? And in doing so, we become lights for the world to see. He continues, we hold fast to the word or the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If you want to know that your life was meaningful and worthwhile, hold fast to Christ, the word of life. Whatever may come, whatever problems you may face, work out your salvation that you grow strong. So that now, when you're able to work out, you can be ready later when you're tested and need the strength. Hold fast to Christ. So at the end of your life, you can say, I did not run in vain. You know, everything I did had a purpose and a meaning that was bigger than myself. Then Paul writes this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, Paul is in prison and is suffering greatly for the very thing he proclaims. Because he's been working out his faith in this time of trial and difficulty, he has the strength to continue to trust in God and see him act and move in a place of great darkness. He says, look, even if I'm to be poured out as an offering, even if I lose my life in this endeavor, even if I am unsuccessful in changing the world around me, I'm glad and I rejoice in you all. I rejoice the fruit of my labor. 
the work that I've done, that because I, Paul, worked out my salvation and grew in faith, I'm in turn able to help you do the same. See, here's the deal. If you go to the gym and you decide to hire a personal trainer, don't take the guy that's 200 pounds overweight. He's probably not going to help you accomplish your goals. No, if you want to grow at the gym, find the guy who's done it who's got the rock-hard abs, and eat what he's eating and do what he's doing and whatever he says, say, okay, that's the lifestyle for me. And you'll see those results. Paul says, look, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Even if I die, it's for your sake. That in me, you can see how to live. Not because Paul believes he's this great and wonderful man, but because Paul is looking to Jesus himself. Because Paul is looking to Christ, anybody who looks to Paul can see Christ in him. And in turn can become Christ in the world around them. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I really hope and desire that we as a church, like Paul, can be the kind of people who rejoice in all things. In fact, this whole book is filled over and over and over again with joy, joy, rejoice in your sufferings, rejoice when things are bad, rejoice over and over and over again. Paul wasn't able to rejoice because he had some strength of his own, but because each and every day he looked to Jesus and said, help me today. I believe for us going forward, whatever the future may hold, These words and this attitude must be ours. God, help me to work out my salvation. Not to earn it, but to strengthen and and change it. To become somebody different as a result of it. Help me to grow through intentional practices and habits that are good for me. So maybe this week the habit you need is one of grumbling. You need to stop grumbling and start doing something different. If you find yourself complaining often, here's a really hard but simple solution. Stop it. And then instead, find something you're grateful for. In the very thing you want to grumble about, find something you're thankful for. Your boss is making you mad? Well, I'm really glad I have a job today. Your spouse is irritating? Well, I'm really thankful that I'm married today. Find something you can celebrate instead of grumble about. Do this once or twice or over and over and over again. You will find yourself filled with more peace and more joy in all circumstances. And if you're needing to grow in other ways, maybe you're just all kinds of questions. You're like, I don't know how to give up these questions. Ask somebody who has, who's not wrestling with those questions, or maybe who's wrestled with them before and is now doing well. Seek the body of believers and say, we should do this together. Help me to grow. And I believe if you and I are committed to working out our salvation, not because we have to, but because it actually brings us joy, 
I believe we will change the way we live today and tomorrow and every day and be the very light that this city needs for years to come. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, give us a fear that maybe nothing else matters except for you. Give us a a fear that maybe you alone are able to change our crooked and twisted ways, our wicked and broken hearts. God, help us to see each day the gift you've given, the faith you've poured out, and to desire like the muscles of our body to strengthen it through intentional and purposeful habits, actions that draw us closer to you. God, I thank you that you are at work in each one of us for your will and your good pleasure, that we would be your good workmanship, doing good works for the sake of our neighbor, loving those who are hurting, caring for those who are sick. God, being a light for those trapped in darkness. I pray today that you'd give each one of us a spirit that does not grumble or question, do not complain or whine, but instead, Lord, an attitude that rejoices in all things, that can be glad in you no matter what may come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship today, one thing we do each and every week is we collect an offering. An offering is one way that we can practice trusting in God. It's not a requirement in scripture. You're not loved anymore if you do or you don't. But by giving to God, we commit to say, God, I want to trust you in everything. And so if you came prepared today to give, if you would like to give, you can give cash or check in the popcorn buckets in the back when you leave. If you filled out one of our connect cards, those little cards in the pew in front of you or kind of in the corners when you were walking upstairs to the balcony, you can put those in the bucket too. And if you're not yet ready to give, you're not yet sure that uh, giving is something God's leading you to do, that's more than okay. Know this, whether you give in person or you give online, whether you give a lot or you give nothing, your giving does not determine God's love for you, but is an act of love for him instead. Will you join us in that? One way that you can grow in your faith is committing to serve alongside other people. Not only do you grow in faith, but you get to meet new people. And uh, usually we like to have a lot of fun as well. So uh, if you'd like to do that, you can sign up online. There's a variety of positions. If you're musical, we would love to have some more musicians in the band. If you're tech savvy or want to become tech savvy, we would love to have your help with live stream or lights or any of the media. Um, And if you are like, I don't like any of that or know any of that, but I can say hello to people, uh, that's a really easy way to say, hey, I'll serve saying hello as often as you want. So now we get to do the questions that you have. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of good ones again this week. I don't know that we'll uh, be able to hit all of them necessarily, but we'll be a little stumped. Give it a go. Well, just time wise, there's there's good ones. Anyway. okay. first things first. It is important to note that you can work out and watch Netflix at the same time. Actually, the gym that I am a part of but don't ever go to, (laughs) uh, 
they have this big cinema so you can like watch a movie while working out. And that's the best, especially action scenes, right? Where I'm running on the treadmill and it feels like I'm a part of the movie. Absolutely. It's good life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. It's really the only reason I work out, to watch movies. <laughs> Next question. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. How do you overcome the frustration that causes said grumbling when a supervisor seems to critique everything I do just for the sake of being right? Golly, that's great. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament where Moses uh, leads the people out of Egypt. They're enslaved and God sets them free and they're brought into the, the um, wilderness and he's like preparing to take them into this promised land and time after time after time, all they do is grumble like we don't have what we want. God, we want something better. And at one point they even go so, so far as to say it would have been better to just die in slavery than to be free and not have the things we want. Um, so grumbling is by no means uh, a new thing. And how do you do it? Uh, how, do you, how do you shift your focus? Especially when your boss just seems to like nag you with specifics and little things all the time. Um, I think it's helpful to look at what is the good in the situation. Every situation has a good. And the good may simply be, God, I'm really thankful that it's almost five o'clock. Great. Start there. I'm really thankful that tomorrow's payday. Wonderful. Uh, whatever it is, find something good you can be thankful for, and that gratitude can begin to help you uh, grumble less. It may also be worthwhile to find a friend that you can confide in, uh, specifically not a friend who's on your side, but who will take your boss's side uh, and say, hey, let them help you find the good in your boss or your spouse or whoever it is you're grumbling against. Absolutely. And grumbling doesn't mean there's no room for like constructive conversation. Totally. Like, they might be in the wrong, but complaining about it won't help. Yeah. All right. Next question. If you go through a rough spot in life and denounce your faith, even curse God, do you really get to come back from that? Or are you forever s scared or scarred? I'm not sure. And no longer a Christian. <laughs> That's a beautiful question. Is there ever a point when you are so far gone that you can't come back? The answer is yes, there is. When you've stopped breathing for the last time. Between now and then, there's never a time, no matter how far you've run or what you've done, that you are not being pursued by God. It's not just a matter of like turn and start pursuing him. No, he's actively pursuing you all the way through this life. So wherever you're at, no matter how far gone you've been, there's still hope for you today. Amen. Um, this next one's a doozy, all right? If we are supposed to love everyone, how do you treat, talk to someone with blatantly racist ideas or people who believe in harmful conspiracy theories on the internet and in real life, it's impossible not to get into a fight that goes nowhere. Does it further the harm of racism and those theories to ignore it and walk away? Golly. Whew, thank you. I, uh, I said it was a doozy. That, that is a I doozy. I prepared you as best I could. Yeah. Hey, this is a doozy. By the way, here's the bombshell. Yeah. Um, I think it comes down to oftentimes, especially on the internet, which then we allow to move into the real world, um, we believe that the other is our enemy whoever the other is. The other could be the person we disagree with, the person with a different attitude. And in believing that they're our enemy, we begin immediately to assume and read anything they say or do as the work of an enemy. And so rather than looking for truth and good in it, 
we begin to label it with all kinds of things that may or may not be present. Speaking to the racism issue, this is a thing in our culture today that is really dangerous. It's dangerous because racism is real and it does exist and it is a major problem. But not everybody whose opinion is different than you is fundamentally racist. And that's a really hard thing to navigate, especially when you believe your opinion is right. And so what do we do with that? Well, I think uh, going back to the previous part of the chapter, we need to consider others' interests. What if for one moment, the person you think is a racist might not be? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But what if you begin there? If they're not racist, why might they be saying or believing or doing these things? And then you can begin to talk about those reasons and hopefully come to what is racism? What is this problem that we need to address? And in this culture that does everything online, we believe oftentimes that if I don't say it online, it didn't happen. But I would actually go the opposite. If you said it online, you actually probably caused more problems than good. And I don't care your opinion. This is just true of all things on social media or the internet. The best thing you can do is invite the person over for dinner and talk to them about it or grab a coffee with them or have a beer and even be honest and say, I'm really struggling because I want to love you as a brother or a sister. And I'm confused by these opinions because I perceive them in this way. Help me to understand. So that's a long answer. I should probably tackle that more on Wednesday because that our culture just immediately wants to jump to. Let me just put a label blaming somebody else for the problem. When scripture says our enemy is not flesh and blood, the person on the other side of the post is not the enemy. They're your brother or sister in Christ. And you have to start by treating them that way. All right, there are two more questions. One is super short, so I think we can actually handle it. Um, but this is not the short one. <laughs> okay, how do you react when you are under persecution from other Christians? How do you best show the love of God when injustice is happening and stand against it? It's, it's a similar vein. Similar, yeah. First and foremost, uh, it's probably safest to assume you're not persecuted. And I say that because it's really easy to always believe, woe is me, look at how people are out to get me. And there's sometimes that's true. Um, but we live in a country where it's probably safe to say you've never been tortured or beaten because of your religious view. And you, as of yet, have probably never been thrown in jail for that. And probably don't know anybody who's personally lost their life because of their religious view. And so while there are attacks and insults and division and things that come, it's dangerous to say that's persecution. Maybe it's persecution or maybe it's sinful people saying and doing sinful things. I don't know. Uh, maybe it has nothing to do with you being a Christian and more to do with your stance or opinion on something political or social or something totally different from your faith. Um, so first and foremost, I would be really cautious to believe you're being persecuted. Next, if you are being persecuted or if people are hurling insults at you, well, two things. First, that's okay. 
the one we call God, Jesus, Lord, Savior, the one we look to, he was persecuted and insults were hurled at him. But he was also blameless and innocent in that persecution. So it's okay to be persecuted, but second, are you blameless and innocent? See, I think every one of us in every situation has something we've contributed to the problem, something we're doing or feeling or believing that's wrong, and some way that we are sinful. So unlike Christ, who can be persecuted, which he did not deserve, there are plenty of times where we do things or say things that invite attack and accusation that aren't necessarily because people don't agree with us on our faith. So if you're being persecuted, so be it. But ask yourself, is there anything I could have done differently to show love, to be love, to not retaliate in anger or bitterness or these other emotions, but instead to just look to Jesus? That would be my long answer to a long question, and I hope it helps. Beautiful. Now, short answer to a short question. Good. What is the plan for Lent at the point? Thank you. You're welcome. Lent is coming soon. I believe February 17th, I think. 18th. 18th. Whatever the Wednesday is of that week, that would be Ash Wednesday. And if you're not familiar with the church tradition of Lent, Lent is a time to set aside some of our distractions and focus on Jesus in a unique way, specifically to focus on uh, the God who suffers, that he would enter into pain and death for us. And so we will be gathering on Wednesday nights here, um, 6? Definitely Wednesday night. Definitely Wednesday sure. nights. I'm not sure what time. Probably before like 8 p.m. Yeah. And after 5 p.m. So we'll we will be gathering details next week. <laughs> Stuff will be coming to you, but we'll be gathering to focus on God's word, to consider uh, his crucifixion and to really uh, take some time to set our mind in the middle of the week on him and all that he's doing. And if you've never been a part of an Ash Wednesday service, Ash Wednesday is where we remember that you and I are going to die and we're going to become dust. And while that sounds really depressing, there's a lot of hope in that too because we get to let go of our need for permanence and our need to fix everything now. Um, So Ash Wednesday is a great time to reflect on that, celebrate that, and that's what we'll be doing for Lent. Okay, I'm so sorry, you guys. I specifically said short answer to a short question. You know I can never have a short answer. Yeah, my bad. You gave me a microphone. This is your fault. Well, church, as you go today, go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, Simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.